0: Her body was discovered in a nearby wooded area. She was stabbed 19 times and left the dead where two adults have been shot to death. 143 people have been murdered, hundreds more have been shot. She had been stabbed to death. It was the bloodiest scene I think I've ever been to. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Dark and Deadly. We are your hosts. I'm Haley. And I'm Gina. And we're together. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is so exciting. (laughs) So we'll be talking over each other, but it's because we're in the same room, not because there's like a three second delay on what each of us is saying. Right. So (laughs) we might be able to actually tell when the other person's about to speak this time. Yes. So that'll be great. Facial cues. They're a wonderful thing. Right. (laughs) It'll be awesome. So... Expect things to get a little bit better from here on out. And we're so sorry for the lack of content. I literally moved here. So it's been sporadic. Yes. We've been, you know, life. It happens. And Haley now lives back home. Yes. And it's great. So exciting. So you get to do these in person now. Yes. So Gina's going to be covering. Uh, The case of JC Dugard. Not Dugard. 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 Um, So we've. We're just going to get right into it. We have covered this type of case before, specifically I have, but it's one of my favorite types because I feel like this is one of the only instances where we really get... Like closure and a happy ending. Closure and as much of a happy ending as you're going to get from a true crime podcast, I feel. So I just, I every once in a while want to have something happy happen out of a terrible situation instead of just constant like... And they were murdered and everyone was miserable. The end. The end. Because <laughs> that's never fun. No, it's not. So I'm going to be covering the case of 11-year-old J.C. Dugard, who was kidnapped and wasn't found for 18 years. Which baffles me. Oh, it's bad. It's, it's, it's genuinely just horrific how many times the parole officers, law enforcement court system completely failed not only jc but other women as well who were affected by this horrible human being Mm -hmm. i've heard this case a few times and each time like it's it's still it still gets to me Mm -hmm. not good no so jc grew up in arcadia california she had a pretty normal childhood from all accounts everything was standard While her dad wasn't in the picture, her mom was, and they were best friends. Her mom absolutely loved her. They had a great relationship with each other. Her mom had remarried, and they decided to move their family to South Tahoe Lake because they thought it would be a safer community to raise their kids in. Right. California, back in the early 90s, in the larger cities, not a good situation. No, I don't think it was a good situation. I wasn't alive yet. In the early, early 90s. (laughs) 94. (laughs) But I believe that there was a lot of, like, crime Mm -hmm. and horrible things happening in the bigger cities. And Tahoe Lake is beautiful. I've never been, but I wanted to go. It's, I mean, you think a little mountain town. Yeah. And ironically, they thought they were moving their family to a safer community. Nope. Nope. On June 10th, 1991, J.C. remembers being a bit upset that her mom, who had already left for work that day, hadn't given her a goodbye kiss. I think this also speaks to the relationship that she had with her mom, that she would notice and have the consciousness of, like... The expectation. Yes, of that. My mom left without giving me a kiss goodbye. Oh my gosh, that sucks. Uh, She had wanted to ask her mom a pretty important question that morning, which was... She had a school trip coming up and she wanted to know if she could shave her legs. And in the mind of an 11 year old, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I remember when I asked my mom for the first time. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a scary question because it's very adult almost, you feel like. Yeah. But it just speaks to where she was in her life that she's going through normal, like puberty type things at that age. Exactly. Do you know where I'm going with it? Yeah, no, I do. It's like when you go through puberty as like, 10 11 12 years old like that's a big milestone for you yes. in your life and but it's also like a scary milestone because you're like things are changing things are changing you're having to ask your parents for permission to do certain things regarding your own body and that's like kind of an uncomfortable doesn't matter how close you are to somebody but it can no, be it's an uncomfortable yeah conversation yes. to have so, I was so embarrassed all throughout from like 11 to 14. Yeah. Just very embarrassing conversations that you need to have with your mom. Right. At that point. We don't need to get into that conversation either. Parts of <laughs> the Beast. She decided she'd have to ask her mom after school and left wearing her favorite all-pink outfit, walked up the hill from her house against traffic like her mom had always told her to do to catch the school bus. When she was halfway up the hill, a gray car approached her. She thought that the man driving the car would ask for directions because he pulled up right alongside her instead she felt her whole body just go completely numb and get very tingly she fell over into some bushes and remembers the last thing she felt being a pine cone before she passed out sad that's it lights out pine cone (laughs) that's really sad and i feel so bad for her mom like oh can you imagine the panic well i would feel so guilty that i didn't give her a kiss
1: hmm goodbye
0: you'd go over that conversation that last like interaction with her every day every day every single moment of every day you would look back and reflect on it constantly yeah I think more so like when we started doing the podcast more and they involve children like I'm so much more conscious of like last interactions with people and like wanting them to be good good right like even if you're like terribly mad at somebody but <laughs> every time I'm just like I don't want to do this like I don't want to leave on bad terms with anybody. No. Because you never know what's going to happen. No. And you hear about those stories all the time. When JC came to was on the backseat floor of a sedan with a woman sitting on top of her, face down, completely naked, except for a butterfly ring, that for the next 18 years, JC kept hidden from her abductors. She heard a man in the front of the car laugh and say he can't believe they got away with it. She would fall in and out of sleep because they drove her 120 miles to Antioch, California on the outskirts of San Francisco, threatened her as they got her out of the car, and moved her into a soundproof shed with two doors in the backyard of their property. Can you imagine a 120-mile ride? No, but I also can't imagine being 11 years old and waking up completely vulnerable like that. All right. No. No. I that would, would be so traumatizing. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine two hours in a car with these people? No. No. Did did it did they ever know why they were in that area? Um, the so there's some theories. To abduct somebody? Yes, it was. They were there to abduct somebody. But why they chose that location, well, cover more later in the story but they they set out to abduct someone it wasn't just like a whim and it was was it intentionally jc or just she was wrong place wrong time So, I did read somewhere that it was intentional. They believe that Nancy had scoped J.C. out. It's so hard for me as a woman to believe that women are capable of stuff like this. I don't know if you feel like that. No, because there's some women who are so desperate for love that they are. And this is where, like, I don't want to, I don't. (sighs) You don't want to put blame, like, on a victim who's been completely manipulated by a man. Right but i'm sorry if you're helping him abduct women uh and rape them and knowingly having this happen i'm get, i'm no you're fucked yeah definitely sorry at that point i'm i have no i don't really have sympathy, sympathy or empathy for no, you at all no no she was handcuffed behind her back with fuzzy handcuffs that they tried to tell her would be less painful and left alone, still naked, and locked in that shed. JC spoke with Diane Sawyer and said that the noises are what she remembers most. The sound of the lock as he closed her into the shed. The sound of lawnmowers in the background. Planes going overhead. Essentially life just continuing to happen. As her life for her, she's probably thinking like this is it. Yeah. Like it's completely from that moment forward never the same No, as it was and at that point at 11 years old you're probably thinking they're gonna end up killing you. And um, back then maybe not as much. That's true. Cuz I I feel like with news the way it was, I mean, yes, stranger danger, but I feel like more when we got into the 2000s, stranger yeah. danger became like more prevalent of prevalent of like don't talk to people who are coming up to you. I feel like there was more of a push as we did see more news cases and more widely distributed stories of children going missing. Well, and it's crazy to think about that, like, from the 60s to 80s, there was a lot of, like, well-known serial killers during those times. And then it kind of... I don't know if I'm just, like, not aware of very many cases that happened in the 90s, but it feels like there was, like, a quiet period for the most part. I feel like as technology grew and, like, DNA and everything... I feel like there's been less serial killers because I can't think of any active serial killers right now. That's why there's, I think, two back East. Yeah. But I don't think it's like rape and murder type of serial killers. So who was it that kidnapped JC? His name was Philip Garrido. Born in 1951 in California. This wasn't his first sexual assault type of crime. And this is where we start to see the South Tahoe. In 1972, a 14-year-old girl accused Philip of drugging and raping her. Unfortunately, the girl was too scared to testify, and the charges were dropped against him. So, that went nowhere, but we have knowledge that he's committed at least something. Right. This wasn't an isolated incident for him. Correct. Philip married a woman in 1973 who would later accuse him of domestic violence, and when she finally tried to leave him, he also kidnapped her. Shocking. Right. Right. In 1976, he abducted and raped a 25-year-old woman in a rented storage container. He did this in South Tahoe. He kidnapped her in Sal Tahoe and brought her into Reno, Nevada. She was thankfully able to get loose, and when he was finally, and he was, like, finally convicted. Okay. He was sentenced to 50 years in a federal prison on June 30th, 1977, at Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. And get this, in court, he even testified that he masturbated in his car by the side of elementary and high schools while watching girls leaving and going. Like, he he testified to this. So, I know we're going to get into it, but why the fuck is he still not in there? It gets worse, unfortunately. So, like, obviously a danger to society... And I don't know any other way to frame that, except for we have multiple instances before we get to J.C. Right. Of him doing pretty heinous crimes against women. At what point is he labeled a danger to society and kept away? Not very often. And we still see that today. Yeah. While at Leavenworth, he met someone we have already talked about. The woman who was holding JC down in the car after she was abducted. Nancy, ain't gonna pronounce this right, Bocanegra, Bocanagra? 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 Yeah. Nancy Bocanagra was visiting her uncle at Leavenworth when she saw Philip and, for some reason, decided he was the one for her. <laughs> On October 5th, 1981, they were married at the prison. Mm, beautiful. Yep. And on January 22nd, 1988, Philip was released from Leavenworth to Nevada State Prison, where he served seven months to a five years to life Nevada sentence. And this is because he abducted her in South Tahoe and brought mm-hmm. her to Reno. The rape and um, holding her hostage happened in Reno, though, so they still had the opportunity to try and sentence him. Okay. that failed. Yes, but because he brought her across state lines, it turned into a federal crime. Right. Right. He was released on good behavior, like what the actual hell, and was transferred to federal parole authorities in Contra Costa County on April 26, 1988. That definitely says August. That definitely says August. Yep. Brain lapse. And I just want to point out also that the Contra Costa... County is where the East area rapist Golden State Killer was active also. Oh, fantastic. So I don't know what's going on in Contra Costa, but, um, I really think that they need to get their lives together because what's happening guys in Antioch, Philip and Nancy lived in the home of his elderly mother who had dementia convenient. Hmm. This is one of the most infuriating parts of this whole thing. While under parole supervision, he was visited more than 60 times, had his home searched by his parole supervisors, but they never checked the sheds in the backyard. They never, I don't think that they ever really went into the backyard. It looked to me, because there's tapes of the parole officers going through the home. Mm -hmm. It looks like they did a pretty good job of trying to manipulate the situation and distract the officer and like kind of annoy him get him off kilter so he wasn't being as observant of what was going on he was focused on the two of them because they would stand on like different ends of him never together yeah so he his attention is constantly going to what are they doing which as a parole officer should be your first warning sign that something is off yes i feel like that too if they're being both of them doing that each time which i would feel like they would have to for you not to notice what's going on right come on yeah I'd be like, I'm going to need you both to step out front. Yes. Because <laughs> you're being annoying. JC would later sue the California parole department and thankfully won roughly 20 million in that case. Okay, good. So she did get to sue them. I th- believe she also tried to sue the federal government and that case went nowhere. Hmm. Because I don't know. That one, I'm just like, he was in f- federal custody and parole. I have a question. Yes. This is kind of off topic. Do you have to pay taxes on stuff like that? For parole officers? No, for like winning a... uh... Uh, Yes, I believe so. I'd be like, you, I better get 20 million after taxes. (laughs) So you better do the math. (laughs) I ain't paying California jack on this money you're giving me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it may, I mean, that could possibly be in the settlement that she doesn't have to pay the state of California taxes. On the money that... On the money that they're giving her. Okay. But I don't know how that actually works. That's just where my brain goes. I don't know. No, I get it. I am. (laughs) Here's also something really gross. Philip and Nancy would record Philip singing at parks, but Nancy, who was recording, would pan the camera over and record little girls playing on the playground. And there's videos of this on YouTube. His singing is absolutely horrible. Yeah. But he as she's panning over to the girls he keeps saying can you see me you got me in camera stuff like that where like you it's almost like he's incriminating her in that way do you know what i'm saying like he yes or he's asking her if she's getting a good look at the a good look at the the children yeah okay yeah it could definitely be either way huh yes he's sick he's disgusting Back with J.C. in that first week, he forced J.C. to shower with him. This was the first time she had seen a grown man naked. He brought her a milkshake at the end of that week and raped her for the first time also. She remembers watching a line of ants that would make their way to the milkshake that she left sitting there untouched. She remembers it feeling like the rapes happened every day right before meals. She had a TV, but it would only play QVC at first. Which would you even want to eat after that happened to you? No. no. And then it, I feel like that would almost make food traumatizing. Oh yeah. Like I would never be able to look in a milkshake the same again. No. Back with her family, JC's mom was freaking out, understandably so. She was doing everything possible to get her daughter's name out there, trying to bring her home. And keep in mind this was back in 1991, like I said, so it, social media wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. You had radio... TV and newspapers. Right. Missing people posters. Missing people posters. The kids on the back of the milk cartons. Milk cartons. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And word of mouth yeah. that she was missing. So her mom would do interviews with news stations and newspapers constantly. Would hold candlelight visuals. Had her neighbors agreeing to keep their porch lights on at night in case she came home. She didn't give up searching for JC those 18 years. She fully believed her little girl was out there and would come home. Like, she never gave up. Hope that JC was somewhere out there. Yeah. And. She just had probably a motherly instinct that she wasn't like dead. You know. (sighs) I feel like that would be so hard. Yeah. 18 years. That's. Right. That's a whole. Like you raise your kid from. From birth to 18 years. In a general sense. Like that's when Mm -hmm. they move out or whatever. Typically. But like. Yeah. That's a whole childhood. Yep. JC remembers Philip going on just these huge drug binges. Meth, LSD, speed. He would do all of these in front of her and tell her to listen to the voices he was hearing. He'd call them angels. More like demons. hmm So I'm assuming he was probably experiencing some type of drug-induced schizophrenia at the time. Yeah. Or some kind of drug-induced... Psychosis. Psychosis something. Yeah. He kept her handcuffed that entire first month. He would threaten to sell her to people who would keep her in cages. As if he wasn't already. Yep. He would tell her that if she escaped the shed, there were Dobermans outside that would attack her. So he did everything to keep her compliant and scared. And then Nancy started to become involved. She began to come out to the shed to visit J.C. She would bring her Barbies, which he would use those milk cartons. They brought her to make furniture for her Barbies, trying to have some kind of like normalness of what girls that age do. They would bring her food or she, um, Nancy would bring her food let her watch different TV shows she would beg her for forgiveness and said she didn't understand why Philip was doing this. But like keep in mind federal investigators do believe that Nancy um, was the one that had scoped JCL in the first place. Right. And she wasn't innocent like. No. She recorded little kids on children. Yes. Like no. At this point no. (laughs) We're not doing that. If you felt guilty you would let her go. yeah. They began to give her cats and kittens that would disappear after a bit of time. So she would get this pet, she would bond with the pet, and then the cat would disappear. disappear which I feel like is even more traumatizing. Yeah. And often JC did, did, didn't did know what happened to them. They wouldn't give her an explanation of where the cats were going. JC's rapes were also videotaped. And a move I, I don't fully understand on the detective part they would have her watch the tapes to verify that it wasn't a different girl being sexually abused that it was actually her what so i I feel like this would be even more traumatizing but jc felt that by doing this she was ensuring it wasn't a different little girl being abused so i think she was able to find some kind of peace in that i'm glad she was because as a parent i'd probably be pissed oh i'd be furious i'd be like you're doing what yeah yeah But when she watched the tapes back, she was 29. So it's not like her mom. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, still as a parent, because she went 18 years being abused and like, you're really going to bring that back up. Right. JC would be shuffled between a larger room that she spent most of her time chained to the bed and the soundproofed room where she was initially brought to to be sexually abused by Philip. And at one point, Philip failed a drug test and was sent to prison for only a month and Nancy became her jailer at that point. So he got caught for a drug bust. And they didn't go through his home tooth and nail to see mm-hmm. if he had any other drugs there. And then Nancy, who feels oh so guilty, is not was her. still her yep. prison guard. She would play scary movies at night and force J.C. to watch. At 14 years old, J.C. then became pregnant. Philip said he was had been studying up on how to do an at home birth, and that's what happened. She gave birth at the house at fourteen. I was terrified to give birth at twenty mm one. Mhm. Surrounded by doctors. I'm terrified at twenty seven. Yeah, I'm not even pregnant. I've had two children. I would still be scared out of my mind. Like, it's and scary. to not have like your mom there or really understand what's happening with your body as it's right. happening each month. And obviously not getting proper prenatal care. Nope. You're not getting proper nutrition or... Anything could have gone wrong in that birth. Anything. So sad. So scary. And also just, like, to take away somebody's first experience like that. Like, having a child is a beautiful thing. hmm And stripping her of that entire experience. Yeah. And making it into something so awful... That breaks my heart. Right. Childbirth can be traumatizing in and of itself. (sighs) While J.C. was pregnant with her first daughter, J.C.'s mom was holding rummage sales to pay for private investigators and distributing close to a million flyers across the country that had a sketch artist's image of a teenage J.C., J.C. would watch television programs on childbirth in preparation for the birth of her first daughter, which occurred when J.C. was 14, on August 18th, 1994. After the birth of her first daughter, Philip raped J.C. less frequently, though he would nonetheless do so when he was on those drug binges. Yeah. So it became a less frequent thing. When he was sober. When he was sober, but during those drug binges, which I... The last time Philip raped her was the day her second daughter was conceived. J.C.'s second daughter was born when J.C. was 17 on November 13th, 1997. J.C. tried her best and took care of her daughters using information learned from TV. Because what else does she really have? She worked to protect them from Philip, who continued his enraged rants and lectures. And I wonder if it's because she was getting older that he wasn't hmm Attracted to her anymore. Attracted to her anymore, but he had kidnapped a 25-year-old woman. True. So, <laughs> maybe but it was the fact that she had kids. Right. Yeah, and it wasn't... Uh, I don't want to talk about his motive, really. Yeah. She coped with her continued captivity by planting flowers in a garden and homeschooling her daughters to the best of her ability for, like, what she had in front of her. Yeah. At what point, Philip informed J.C. that to pacify his wife... JC and her daughters were to address Nancy as their mother and that when she and that she was to teach her daughters that she was their older sister. I'm so fucked up. I'd be so pissed. <laughs> me too. I'd be so pissed. I'd be Like you made me give birth in a shed dude. Yeah. No. When JC and her daughters were eventually allowed to come into contact with other people this story was continued then too. Yeah. Philip operated a print shop where J.C. acted as the graphic artist. So, I mean, this is years later. He obviously thinks that he has her... Completely... Snowballed. Yes. Yep. And he allows her to start going out. They go out to family events. I think that they went to a carnival at one point. And it was probably long enough that he figured people wouldn't have recognized her necessarily. And being so far away from South Tahoe... He probably figured he's fine. Yeah. One of the customers of the printing business claimed that he met and spoke by telephone with JC and that she did excellent work. Great job. No complaints about her. During this time, JC had access to the business phone and an email account. Another customer indicated that she never hinted to him about her childhood childhood abduction or her true identity. So... Even when she was away from Philip at the print shop interacting with other people, she she wasn't giving anything away. Right. And I imagine she was pretty terrified. Yeah. Especially because now she has two kids to protect mm-hmm. as well. It's not just her right. that she has to think about. She also has to think about the safety of her two children. And what can she do as a single individual when there's two other people that are working to destroy mm-hmm. their lives? Philip kept a blog associated with what he called God's Desire Church. In the blog, he claimed that he had the power to control sound with his mind. He had asked several people, including customers of at the print shop, to sign testimonials confirming that they witnessed his ability to control sound with his mind and a device he developed for others to witness this phenomenon. (laughs) I probably would have signed to him and been like, "Dude, it's (laughs) crazy." nuts (laughs) (laughs) nuts <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely out his mind yeah and why would you continue to go back to the print shop definitely not i'd be like hey, okay <laughs> thank you for this great job i'm gonna take my business elsewhere but here's my signature bye <laughs> Yep. law enforcement officers believe that in 2009 jc's living quarters were in a second section of the backyard behind philip's house the private area of the yard included sheds one of which was a soundproof room and the other was used as a recording studio in which Philip recorded himself singing religious themed and romantic country songs. <laughs> what an interesting combo. <laughs> what a there were derfus. yes, there were two homemade tents in the backyard and what was described as a camping style shower and toilet. So the girls lived in the tents in the backyard. They didn't live in the sheds, they lived in tents. And they had a shower and a toilet. Um, there was a six-foot-high fence that was surrounding mm-hmm. the yard. And then in certain places, it was even higher at eight feet. Okay. So I think I think we're, we're living in a neighborhood that has no HOA. Yeah. And clear. where everyone's yards are kind of a little bit messy, maybe. Right. Because the way his yard has been described in multiple articles... It's like a junkyard type of yes. scenario. Cars... Sheds, random stuff in the yard. Yeah, just tent, chaos in the back. Tent camping 24-7. Yes. Yeah. An entrance to the secondary, or the second section of the backyard was covered by trees and a tarp. Privacy was enhanced by tents and outbuildings. The enclosures also housed a car that matched the description of the one used in the abduction. Mm-hmm. So. He parked it and just never. <laughs> rusted. Okay. Yep. Rust bucket. So electricity was supplied by extension cords. This sounds like a fire waiting to happen. Yeah. And cops visited the residence at least twice, but did not ask to inspect the backyard and did not detect the presence of JC or the kids. I, a one look in that backyard, I would have been like, I'm going I'm to have to scope this one yes. out, guys. But one, one of the calls was because they said children were living in the backyard. Yeah. They specifically called and said he has children living in the backyard. And I believe that they also said he had sexual, um, like registered sex offender okay and there was children living in the backyard yeah red cops, flag. yes cops came and talked to him for 30 minutes and then left it's so bizarre like doing what is so hard about doing your job did this guy get have like the best luck with cops or did he like, have some kind of magic touch super manipulative i don't that manipulative yeah i've seen it firsthand Ugh, there are like some crazy people out there that even when you've been manipulated by them hundreds of times, for whatever reason, they will get in your head and you will believe them and then you're going to leave the scenario and be like, what the heck just happened? I just got bamboozled. Yeah. So he must be one of those. Yeah. So how was JC discovered? <laughs> this is where it starts to get a bit wild and where he, I think, starts to get a bit too relaxed. Loosey goosey. Uh, and maybe a bit wrong in the brain from all of the drugs. Okay. On August twenty-fourth, two thousand nine, he bizarrely visited the San Francisco FBI office and left a four page essay containing his ideas about religion and sexuality and suggesting that he had discovered a solution to problem behaviors like his past crimes. And I wanna ask him, was your solution to rape and kidnap and essentially torture a woman for 18 years? Cause that that's what you did, bud? <clears throat> yeah. I need an explanation. Yeah, I don't think the four pages are gonna cut it. It's because like the essay described how he had cured his sexual criminal sexual behaviors and how that information could be used uh, to assist in curing other sexual predators by controlling human impulses that drive humans to commit dysfunctional acts. But he quote quote he didn't though like he raped her for years. Yeah, but he stopped after she had two kids. That doesn't count. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's ridiculous. And on the same day, and this is where he messed up, apparently going to the FBI didn't ring any alarm bells for them. He went to a University of California police office with J.C.'s two daughters seeking permission to hold a special event on campus as part of his God's Desire program. He spoke with the special events coordinator, Lisa Campbell, and she... Like, it raised alarm bells for her. She thought his behavior was completely erratic and weird and thought the two girls looked sullen and submissive. So, okay. something triggered in her bre- brain to just be like... Something's off. Something's off This doesn't feel right. Yeah. And thank the Lord for some woman's intuition. She asked him to make an appointment for the next day, which thankfully he did. Idiot. Leaving his <laughs> name in the process. An officer, Ali Jacobs, ran a background check and discovered that he was a registered sex offender on federal parole for kidnapping and rape. So, Homeboy wasn't supposed to have little Children. girls with him. Yeah, no. He came back the next day, and the girls came with him too. Thank goodness. This is where I'm. I'm like, so his brain either is soup at this point, his brain is completely gone, or he's so confident in what he's been doing that he just yeah. doesn't care. Right. Because there's people like Ted Bundy who just yes. he thought he was going to get away with it. Yes, fully thought he was going to get away with it. The girls appeared to Jacobs to be pretty pale. And as if they hadn't been in the sun, like you might expect girls around that age to have been. Mm-hmm. And she felt their behavior was also a bit unusual. Luckily, his several parole violations were a basis for an arrest. So Allie Jacobs, the officer, phoned the parole office to relay her concerns and leaving a... Report on voicemail. <sighs> Once again, the parole office comes in to absolutely do nothing. Perfect. Yes. After hearing Jacob's recorded message, two parole op- agents drove to the Phillips um, house the later that... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> After hearing Jacob's recorded message, two parole agents drove to his house later that day. When they arrived, they handcuffed him and searched the house, finding only his wife, Nancy, and his elderly mom at the house. I forgot his mom has been there this whole time. You no, know, homegirl still alive. Oh still out here. Gosh. Living with dementia. 18 years later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's real one lucky duck. And then the parole agents drove him back to the parole office. While driving him to the office, he said that the girls who had accompanied him to UC Berkeley were the daughters of a relative. Lies. And that he had permission from the parents to take them to the university. So it had to be noted that, like I said, a month earlier, the parole board upheld the ruling that he wasn't supposed to be around young girls. Yeah. Parole violation number one. Mm -hmm. The second parole violation is that he went a certain distance past where he was supposed to. So he was supposed to stay within his county. He went outside of it when he went to University of California and San Francisco, FBI office. Oh, okay. Sometimes that's a condition of parole. You can't leave a certain area without written consent from... Your parole officer. Your parole officer. And I just want to have it be noted also that the parole officers, instead of arresting him, said... Okie dokie, sir. We're going to drive you right home. And that's going to be it for today. You uh-huh. have a nice day. Yup. And they dropped his little happy-dappy butt off at home. And he's like, I did it again, guys. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. So, he was ordered to report back to the office the next day. He ca- he did. He did. And this is where it gets bonkers. He brought his wife, Nancy. He brought the two girls. And he brought JC. Who was introduced as Alyssa. So, she had been going by Alyssa this whole time. Okay. The parole officer decided to separate him from the girls and try to obtain everyone's identity. Right. And figure out who was who, who was actually who. And maintaining her false identity as Alyssa, J.C. told investigators that the girls were her daughters. Although she indicated that she was aware that Philip was a convicted sex offender, she stated that he was a changed man a great person, and was good with her kids. Hmm. And the girls repeated those. They Which said that he was a great man. He good. In yes. the car. When pressed for details that would confirm her identity, JC became extremely defensive and agitated. She was wanting to know why she was being interrogated. She hadn't done anything wrong. And subsequently also said that she was a battered wife from Minnesota and hiding from her abusive husband. Oh, jeez. Which I feel like would almost raise a more alarm bells. Right. Like, I feel like she's panicking and she's just digging a like, deeper hole. Yeah. Yeah. The parole officer eventually called the police. Upon the arrival of a, the police sergeant, Philip admitted he had kidnapped and raped her. So she didn't admit it. He admitted. Can you... It like, before she did. He had to s- have her so brainwashed that something bad was going to happen for her to not be the one to admit it. Right. But have him be the first one to admit it. So if he didn't... I think she would have eventually... You think so? Yeah, they probably would would have fingerprinted her. They... Who knows, but... Yeah. At a minimum, they'd be separated because he can't be around the girls. True. True. Okay. True. You would think... And it was only after he was arrested that J.C. finally said, my name's J.C. Dugard. It was later suggested that J.C. So- showed signs of Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And when she was interviewed by Dan Sawyer, J.C. stated that her compassion and willingness to interact with her captor were only means of survival. Right. Like, that's what she had to survive. And it wasn't like she was just there for a year or two. She was there for 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine after six months, I'd be pretty invested in keeping whoever had me captive... Happy. Happy. Yeah. My, my basis of survival. No other choice. Absolutely no other like, choice. Like, are you just going to sit there and be awful and, like, fight him for years upon years? But No, that's going to be no. even worse for you. So yep. you're going to be compliant and you're going to do whatever And he's going say. on drug binges yeah. and going... Which is terrifying as a child. Yeah. Terrifying. Yep. This is what JC said about being told she had Stockholms. The phrase Stockholm Syndrome implies that the hostage hostages cracked by terror and abuse became affectionate toward their captors. Well, it's really, it's degrading, you know, having my family believe I was in love with this captor and wanted to stay with him. I mean, that is so far from the truth and it makes me want to throw up. I adapted to survive my circumstance. Mm -hmm. And she did. Fully adapted to survive her circumstance. She had a role and she committed to it. Yes. For her own safety. And her kids. Yep. And then she had kids involved. Of course she's going to do everything to keep everything even Killed. Yep. Repeatedly during the segment of the interview, she stated that as a way to survive and hope to end abuse, many victims are forced to sympathize with their captors. It's just what happens. You cannot blame the per the victim for what they did to survive right nancy's a different story we're not even getting on no, nancy no on april twenty eighth, 2011 so they were rescued in t- 2009 it took until 2011 to get them through the court system Jeez. both nancy and philip pleaded guilty to kidnapping and rape by force on june 2nd 2011 philip was sentenced to 431 years to life imprisonment Nancy was sentenced to 36 years to life imprisonment. The sentences would allow both to be eligible for parole in August 2034. In 12 years. Why did they get parole? That's what I want to know. Why? We're not in Canada. What's happening? So I just want to read off for everyone. How many opportunities were missed to rescue J.C. Dugard? Because this is such a failure on the court system, the parole office, the police officers that came to the Mm -hmm. house multiple times, the court system, everyone. This is such a failure on the California, Nevada federal court system that she ever, that it took that long to find her. I have a couple bullet points to read. Police failed to make the connection that J.C. was kidnapped south of South Lake Tahoe, the same location of Phillips 1976 kidnapping and rape. On April 22nd, 1992, less than a year after her kidnapping, a man called the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Department from a gas station less than two miles from Phillips' home. 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 (laughs) Home. Home. The caller reported that he saw uh, J.C. in the gas station staring intently at a a missing child poster of herself. The caller then reported seeing her leave in a large yellow van, possibly a Dodge. In 2009, after JC's release, an old yellow Dodge van was recovered from Phillips' property that matched the description of the van given in the call. The license plate was not reported in the 1992 call. The caller, the girl, and the van were gone by the time the police arrived. The caller never identified himself, and the police did not pursue the manor contradicting the story. However, JC reported that she never left the property from the day she was kidnapped until shortly before her first child uh, was born in August 1994. But she could have also forgotten because of traumatizing stuff because it, it is a weird coincidence that that person identified. With a van? With a van. Same description. Or was it him calling? Oh. Sorry about the dogs. Sorry, guys. Dogs, guys. Dogs. On. In June 2002, the fire department responded to a report of a juvenile with a shoulder injury that occurred in a, at a swimming pool at Phillips' home. This information was not related to the parole office, which had no record of either juvenile or swimming pool at Phillips' address. In 2006, one of... Uh, Philip's neighbors called 911 to inform them that there were t- t- tents in the backyard with children living there and that Philip was psychotic with sexual addictions. A deputy sheriff spoke with uh, Philip at the property of the house for about 30 minutes and left after telling Philip that they, there would be a code violation if people were living outside the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, Contra Costa, sheriff's department leader, apologized in 2009 for this. Mm. Yeah, sorry he's going to cut it. Yep. On November 4th, 2009, the California Office of the Inspector General issued a report that enumerated lapses by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation that had contributed to J.C.'s continued captivity. The central finding was that Philip was incorrectly classified as needing only low-level supervision. All other lapses derived from that mistake. In his report, the Inspector General detailed an instance in which a parole agent encountered a 12-year-old girl at the home, but accepted Philip's explanation that she was his brother's daughter and uh, the agent did not decide to verify it, despite the fact that a call to Philip's brother verified that he did not have children. Our, so... It's just frustrating The because... parole officer, at 12 years old, he encountered someone around the age of 12. She was kidnapped at the age of 11. Yeah. She could have been found probably within a year to two years. The parole officer apparently called the brother and verified that he didn't have any children. But didn't go back to the house to say, who the frick's kid is this? Yeah. It is just beyond frustrating because as a citizen and you go and report things like the neighbor did about the kids in the tents and like, this is concerning because of his record. And like, you should trust that when you make a call like that, that it is going to be thoroughly investigated. It's annoying. Oh, it's so frustrating. 18 years. 18 years of her life. And they made 60 visits. Okay, there's our podcast. First podcast together. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Yeah. You can uh, find us on Instagram at Dark and Deadly Pod. You can find us on TikTok at Dark and Deadly Pod. And our February two topic episode looks like it's going to be our March two topic episode. Two topic episode. Yeah. So <laughs> um, our next episode will be our February one of Wrongfully Convicted. So. Yeah. How exciting. Yes. But we hope everybody has a great week and we'll see you guys here next time. Don't forget to put on your notifications to notify you when we do upload wherever you listen to to our podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. Bye.